0: The Braving Business Podcast is brought to you by, well, me. I'm PJ Benoit and have been in the domestic and international logistics and transportation field for over three decades. Are you looking to ship literally anything? Direct-to-consumer or business-to-business, small package, pallet and freight, truckload, international air and ocean, warehousing and distribution, and so much more? Let's connect. Go to shipwithpj.com to learn more. That's shipwithpj.com. And now for the show. Hello and welcome to the Braving Business Podcast. Today we are honored by having Erez Avramov, who is a business strategist, a keynote speaker, a leadership coach, a resiliency expert, and the founder of Life Rebuilder Academy. Born in Israel, uh, Tal's homeland, he has also served in the elite commando unit of the Israeli Air Force before emigrating to Canada. Ehrez has become an internationally re- recognized expert on the subject of resiliency and earned his nickname as the man who refuses to die. By going through three near-death experiences in his life, as well as an elective amputation of his right leg below the knee, we're going to get into that, a heart attack, which we'll definitely get into as well, and a career transformation. He believes that when we arrive at our darkest night of the soul, it has the potential to actually be our greatest gift. Erez, it's an honor to have you on the Braving Business Podcast. Welcome.
1: Thank you, PJ, and thank you, Tal. It's a pleasure to be here with you.
0: Ares, it's
2: great to have you with us, and uh, I, I'm, I'm honored uh, to have you share your story, which is so remarkable, uh, almost unfathomably remarkable. So why don't we start with you giving us a little bit of the background of what led you to become known as the man who refuses to die?
1: That's a great uh, opening question. <laughs> and I would say, you know, the nickname was given to me, uh, I, I, you know, And definitely we'll dive into the details of why. But just a little bit of background. uh, Born and raised in Israel. uh, Was uh, always an adventurer by heart. Uh, Loved to do many different outdoor activities and uh, adventures all over the place from a very young age. And as you know, Tal, uh, for us in Israel, we have to serve in the military. It's a compulsory service. Three years for men, two years for women. And I was of brought up with the intent of if you are going to serve you might as well do the best you can and aim for the best uh, military service uh, that you can aspire to and for me it was uh, actually aiming towards there are like three top elite units in the israeli military it's like uh, the navy seals and the green barades and kind of all of those things in in the us uh, sas in england things like that In Israel, we have the same structure, of course. So a lot of the early stages of my youth were kind of oriented towards, okay, how am I going to make it into that uh, specific uh, unit? And that's a journey on its own. Uh, If you want, we can dive into that or we can continue. Well, Well, yeah, please. Sorry, PJ, go ahead. No, I was going to say, so... Did you have
0: a, uh, was there a specific unit that you really wanted to be a part of when you were growing up?
1: Yes, I actually really wanted to be in search and rescue. That was my, when I was 13, I was introduced to the outdoor community of Israel. A lot of um, veterans from search and rescue, because I was doing uh, rock climbing, rappelling, canyoneering, caving, all of those activities that I love. And these were the guys who actually participated in them in Israel and were kind of my mentors. So by the age of 16, I was actually almost selected to be part of search and rescue. But in Israel, you go through a very dedicated screening process of almost two years. And I was just pulled into the Israeli Air Force on the more commando side of things, you can call it. And the screening process—I didn't know to which unit I was actually screened for, because that wasn't something they share with you. So I ended up instead of search and rescue, actually at the front line uh, as a combat soldier.
2: Wow, Aries, I bet you're familiar with uh, with the book "Startup Nation" by uh, Dan Sonor. It's a it's a book about the culture in Israel that starts in the military. Uh, what can you share about about what that culture taught you about speaking your mind?
1: uh being accountable yeah beautiful question uh so i would start with that speaking your mind is not uh very uh <laughs> encouraged i actually uh ended up in military jail once for <laughs> speaking my mind too much uh funny thing uh, you know when you question the prime minister they don't like it mm. so uh but that, that that aside the i think the culture especially in military, allows men, and I see the same with women, to mature and grow in a pace that I haven't seen in any other place. And one of the big reasons uh, for that is that you are being extracted from your home environment and you're being thrown into something that you cannot be prepared for. doesn't matter how much you think you're prepared for or anything. It's just a total universe, different universe out there and the process is so ingenious in how they do it in military to take you from an 18 year old and build you up to whatever the outcome is you know it could be an administrative position or it could be you know like a, a war machine like i was trained to be it's a designed process so every step of the way builds up a certain part first of all it breaks you down And then it builds you up. So the culture, I think, to answer your question, is embedded in those particular experiences. And I find that at least my experience with a very, very elite unit, it was kind of almost the Navy SEALs of the skies. Um, The relationships that were built throughout the process, nothing I've ever experienced in my life, the friendships, the trust, the, uh, the ability to blindly trust your life in someone else's hands but blindly this is not uh, you think in the back of your mind maybe they're going to step up or not this is unquestionable really experiences that i haven't um, been exposed to in any other realm outside of that level of military service wow i could uh, i could totally see how that would
0: apply uh, in the future for any kind of business endeavor that you have or any kind of uh, goal achievement that you set forth, because having that that blindness of trust of those around you, whether it's the people around you or just yourself of your own capabilities and and your own talents, um, I, I think that's what allows you to climb that mountain to put that flag in the peak. I think that's a, that's amazing.
1: Yeah, yeah, very much so. And as we know, uh, trust is everything. As humans, we don't trust. It's kind of the default is I don't trust. How do you pass that barrier? And not necessarily you have to get to that blindless uh, trust position, but it is this transference of trust and enabling someone to trust you and you to trust them. Otherwise, we're just living in an inauthentic environment that, you know, you can still achieve things, but I find them to be very diluted and boring, to be honest.
2: So, so let's talk about trust, because I think uh, trust is, uh, as I've come to experience in my own journey, trust is a big factor in perseverance. Uh, being able to return the trust, especially if your trust has been compromised for one reason or another, Uh, is a huge, it's it's a big challenge, and it requires a lot of maturity. Can you tell me about how you transferred some of the lessons you learned in the military to your career?
1: Yes, I think maybe an easy entry point to this would be, you know, when I was in the military, you do what you have to do. You don't have a choice. You know, we started 1,500 guys. We ended up through the selection process 26 of us were selected, 13 of us finished uh, operation training, and then we become operative soldiers and do what we needed to do. So that entire process, I would say, is almost outside of your realm of choices. Either you want to finish it or you don't. And they make everything possible for you not to finish it. So there's a different tenacity, a different mindset. It is very extreme. It is very unhealthy in retrospect, to build a young man to operate in that type of environment because it is very one-sided, it's all or nothing, it's black and white. There is no room for failure. It doesn't exist in that realm. You fail, you're out. That is it, right? It's not an accommodating environment. Oh, okay, let's learn from this and move on. No, no, you fucked up, you're out, right? So it's, it's a very extreme process. So during the military service, I would say I wasn't aware of what I was learning and who I was becoming because I'm I'm a rebel by heart by nature. Uh the military environment was never a great environment for me. I think this is what what enabled me to thrive through my military service was to be in a very elite unit. This is almost a uh, a bubble outside the military, you know. We wore civilian clothes and we had access to great stuff cuz it's the air force and It wasn't like hardcore, you know, Marine Corps type of military service that some people are aware of. It's a very, very different lifestyle. But transitioning out of military service, I think I brought into my life this idea of, I can do whatever I want. I'm almost the factor of fear is extracted out of you because in order to perform the way they want you to perform, You cannot be afraid of anything. You actually, they build up your ego to such a crazy level where you think you're invincible and you can do whatever is needed. And, you know, there's nothing in this world that you cannot do, right? And that's the level they want you to be at in order to perform uh, to that degree of um, execution as a soldier. Taking that into civilian life uh, makes it very, very difficult to interact in a normal life because you're trying to push the envelope with everything that you do. And that was a journey that wasn't easy for me. I didn't understand that I am operating from a place that is a little bit disconnected from who I am versus what I can do externally. So it's almost like erase the machine and erase the person. And and there was a conflict for several years of who's who.
0: There's a... Um... Not to get geeky, but there's a science fiction book by an author by the name of John Stakely, Stakely I, I believe, um, called Armor. And it's all about being in impossible military circumstances. And he calls himself the machine because mm. that is his, his mental armor, so to speak, f- to enable him like, like to transpose his own personality to a persona so that he can go do what he needs to do forget his humanity and and be the machine and survive and so that's it's really interesting um i've got a couple of things out of this so far a you're my own personal john wick um if i'm ever in a dark alley i want you by my side please actually in front of me that'd be great um (laughs) and then uh secondly so so this all sounds like it kind of folds into this, your own persona of being known as the man who refuses to die. Um, also another movie reference, Seasuit just came out this year about the Finnish guy in World War II. Extremely violent, but very cool. He also refused to die. So how? So from what I'm getting, that boiling that down, this this mentality, this machine mentality, is really the bedrock of what allows you to to go forward, right? Because if you're not, if you're not tethered by fear and, and failure is not an option, then, then you can go full bore for, for whatever you want. Is that, is that kind of how it works for you?
1: It It is how it works, but it's the opposite of how you should do life. <laughs> Please, right. Yes. I think experiencing life through this almost um, call it, call it the machine lens. Allows you to achieve a lot on the exterior side of things, right? Like achieve goals, be persistent, you know, kind of grit and willpower and motivation and all those things that everybody is so enamored by these days, as if we're trying to, you know, create this new persona that has to be, you know, that type of machine in order to succeed in life. I actually found and will go through the process of how I took off the shield to become a person. And then life started to really work for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that that approach isolates you from real day-to-day life because we engage with people. You know, I always say, and and and, and it, there's a saying in in the you know um, cognitive behavior world of we are in the business of human to human. There is no business relationship. There is no, you know, uh, personal, just I'm a father, I'm a spouse, I'm a, whatever. It's human to human. And in order to interact on that level, if you have a shield that you operate behind, it's always going to be very, very on the surface. So you may see exterior success, but inside there's a big disconnect, usually. So,
2: Ari, that's a really interesting point, and I think it... Uh... It speaks particularly to what happens to individuals who do experience a lot of success by being machine-like. And the challenge when facing obstacles, unanticipated obstacles to get the machine persona, become human, become vulnerable, present themselves as imperfect, flawed to their colleagues, their subordinates, their clients, their investors. Talk about the challenge that 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 represents for a lot of high-achieving people who are attracted to entrepreneurship and business and leadership because of the bigger than, stronger than persona that uh, many of us have come to associate with uh, the titans of industry.
1: What a beautiful question there, Tal. You know, again, I think it's... uh... It's more to do with knowing who you are and accepting the journey within versus the journey without, because for many, especially if we look at high achievers, you know, in the uh, business arena in particular, it's also applicable, you know, to sports, politics, a lot of areas that demand a certain persona to kind of lead the way Uh, there is a. I feel, at least from my end, understanding my little world and, and how I operate within it, it's just a shift of perspective of what is actually needed to feel successful with yourself. And success is a very personal definition. Nobody has a you know one way or another. It's a it's not a, a one size fits all. But I think that when you talk about entrepreneurs that have bought into the idea that they need to become the machine in order to succeed. And don't get me wrong, a lot of achievements are enabled because of that approach, but you approach the end result very dissatisfied, sometimes depressed, Mm. unhappy, broken, unhealthy. You've burned so many bridges along the way uh, with people with family with business colleagues because the price that you thought would give you that happiness and that beautiful place uh, you thought it was worth it and I don't know about you but you know I work with clients who have achieved you know multi-billion dollar success and that empty place if it hasn't been addressed no money in the world can buy it so true so true but also
0: I think it's very interesting in that you know the vulnerability that Tal, you you mentioned that that openness of of being human no one gets power alone right you 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 have to have people who are your fans you have to have people who are willing to support you and and i think that's that's just a great a great comment about if you're too focused and too machine like and you're burning your bridges along the way you don't have anyone to celebrate with really right and so i think that for you to to really achieve success, um, you, you need other people. You, you need to be connected. That's the only way really to do it.
1: Yeah. I, I really do believe you need both. It's this, you know, it's not that there's a balance between them. I don't believe in balance on any level in life. It's just, you know, there are specific areas that we need to focus more on as the cycle of life continues. And, and we have to address it that way. But I find that a good relationship with those two personalities and abilities uh, is what what is required, and I can tell you that it took me years and three near-death experiences, which were, you know, on the surface of it, terrible, in order to learn these lessons. Because when I came into those experiences, I didn't understand the depth that this journey actually calls you to uh, participate in i thought it was still external i thought it was still you know i can power my way through you know i can put the shield of the commando guy and i can just make it happen and every time it just shattered in my face and took me down to you know the depths of dark nights and and very difficult uh, situations
2: and, and you talked about that. So I, I do want to dive into those three near-death experiences and, and what they taught you collectively and individually about resilience. Um, but maybe for starters, the the process of beginning to recognize that you've changed uh, and that you are not the person you were and, and are able to look at things more broadly, um, that is difficult for a lot of people. It tends to happen later in life almost. I mean, I'm, I'll be 50 this year, and I, I would say that over the last few years, I become more human. I was probably living like a machine for most of my life, to to my own detriment, and on many levels to my to to uh, the, to the benefit of myself and my investors and and, and my colleagues. How do you determine that uh, you know it, it is time to reassess uh, that no matter how much success maybe you had or um, uh, how many accolades you've won, that you are not living your best life. You're not being the best version of yourself.
1: Yeah. The big question, right? And I think you know it. I think you know when you're dissatisfied. I think you know when you're disconnected. I think you know when you're an autopilot. You may have exterior success to the yin-yangs, right? I mean, amazing companies, exits, the cars, the yachts, the houses, I don't know, whatever you associate with success. But inside as a person, man, you know it. There is just this riff inside of you that doesn't matter what you try to do, you are not fulfilled. And I'm not talking about happiness. Happiness is such a uh, um, watered down approach to what I call contentment. Life is not about being happy. happy happiness is a, is an emotion. Uh, You know, you can be happy for one minute and then somebody cuts you on the road and you give them the finger and now you're angry. So it's not about sustaining happiness. But I think inside, as we... It's a lot more in Tel Aviv than it does in in Toronto, (laughs) I'm going to assume. Not in Vancouver, too.
0: (laughs) Very rare. I don't know, come on over to Chicago.
1: Or (laughs) New (laughs) York. Or New York. (laughs) Very true. But, but, But I think that everyone that listens to this you know, if you're in a in a spot that you, you know there is more, you know that you are not fulfilled, you know that you may have pursued a very specific path that you thought will be fulfilling, but it's not really, that inner calling is in there. Uh, unfortunately, at least, and I'm biased because this is my experience, I find that something really difficult and challenging has to happen in your life to really shift the trajectory of how you see yourself and the choices you are willing to make because of that. If you're in a comfort zone, it's a lot easier to stay there, even if it's not a great place. It's familiar, maybe it's easy, you know, and you kind of are stuck in there.
0: Oh, been there. Been there.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think <laughs> Most- we, we all have, right? And then life hits you, right? Same has happened to me. And I moved just to give a little kind of context for for, for the listeners. So served in the military, then traveled the world. Uh, A lot of Israelis do that just to, because we don't have our youth, right? 18, you finish high school, boom, you're in military. So you kind of have a chance to travel the world and and experience different things there. Um, And for me, one of the big shifts were um, that in uh, '96. the Prime Minister of Israel was assassinated by a right-wing extremist. And I was in the Secret Service after my my, uh, military service and I was very, very close to uh, the uh, administration at the time. And I just saw the shift in the country. And unfortunately, these days, we just see how extreme that approach has become. And that really triggered me to ask the question, you know, if I was to raise a family, where is it going to be? And that was my beginning of a journey to actually look for a different place. And to make a long story short, I was in Europe for a few years, in the States for a few years, and then chose Canada as home. I've been here now for almost 19 years. And that was from the perspective of enabling my family to have an environment, at least, that is different to what I grew up with. Not to say that Israel is not a great place. I am who I am because of it. I love the country. Uh, my siblings are there. My family is there. But uh, the the conditions, the environment that we put ourselves in, is a, as far as I'm concerned, the foundation for everything else that we uh, will have in life.
2: So let's dive into those three near death experiences. Why don't you take us through them one by one, and uh, you know yeah. to the extent that you you had lessons that that they taught you about resilience or perseverance. Mm-hmm. We'd love for our listeners to hear them. Mm-hmm.
1: For oh, sure. So, um, here in Canada, I was my my speciality, my kind of genius touch was in real estate. I was an entrepreneur in real estate. Uh, I wore any hat that the industry has to offer. You know, from an investor, contractor, broker, uh, manager, every single hat. It was all putting deals together and being very creative with the process. Created multiple uh, six, seven and eight figure businesses around this industry. And felt at the time that this was kind of the journey, you know, immigrant in Canada, establishing a new home and a new base and, and everything else. And it was all business, 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 business. And of course I was burnt out. My relationship at home uh, was, was struggling, right? Uh, realized after a while that we just didn't have the right foundation. That led to a divorce um, at that time, and I ended up as a single dad, two little girls questioning, how did I get here, right? And that was really the entry point into just being curious about, like, what's going on? well, Who's who? Who's what? And that started a journey that I really can't say how it all unfolded, but my huge first wake-up call was a near-death experience in a car accident with a fully loaded semi-truck. I was actually on my way up north, and I was about to meet actually a business mentor of mine. I always have mentors and coaches in my life. Uh, It's the only way I know how to grow and get away and see my blind spots. And uh, a terrible snowstorm, black ice, lost control over the car, and just hit a semi-truck, um, head-on collision. To survive that accident was a a miracle. Right? I was just broken into a billion pieces. Uh, chances of survival were very, very low. But that is, I think, when the machine kicked in. It was all survival. And to be honest, I'm good at survival. It's my comfort zone, if I'm really honest, right? Like I will put me in any condition, anywhere in the world, Easy. It's not even a challenge, right? It's like this is this is my home, home turf, right? I just came back now from three days, you know, uh, motorcycle trip solo in uh, Washington State, and I sleep in beautiful places and I do my thing because it's it's where I feel alive, right? So that accident was very physical. It was just, you know, I broke twenty seven bones in my in my like my stern and my ribs crushed my femur, my ankle, lungs collapsed, like multiple, multiple injuries. But as soon as the life-threatening piece was under control, the resiliency mechanism, which says, okay, this has happened, how do I deal with this? Kicked in. And when it kicked in, it was all about, okay, how do I recover, right? How do I get my life back together? And I think that that process for me is fascinating, because it calls you to question every single thing that you think you know, that you think you understand, that you get confused by, and you are in this unknown territory. And I find it to be the most challenging place to be in, yet the most beautiful transformative lessons are always embedded in the depth of that experience. And that was my first entry point to this entire journey.
0: Wow. Wow. (laughs) Did you uh, just briefly on that? Do you remember the accident?
1: I remember every single second of it, everything from the losing control to the rescue teams with the jaws of life, cutting the car and say, there's no one there. There's no way we find, we'll find someone alive there and how they extracted me from there. And vividly every single moment of it is embedded in in me oh. so th- that experience also you know cuz i was i was on the verge of of moving on those near near death experiences it's a very big subject i'm not going to dive into it but it's you're on the edge between life and death and whatever death is for somebody that doesn't know or didn't experience the edge It's very difficult to define because it's there there are no words we're very limited in how to uh, interact with but anyways you are there and you have to make a choice am i going to fight for my life or am i going to give up and let go Mm -hmm. and i totally understand today why people let go in many situations when it's too difficult uh you know when they die from a a specific um, disease that they were not capable to cope with well or interact with it in a way that they can actually heal versus let the disease take over or whatever other circumstance in life that's really the catalyst of this shift in in almost uh, i would use the word consciousness because you have to dive into a different realm that most of us are just uncomfortable with it's it's not a place we want to visit it's a lot easier to just you know do what we do so there was an, an entry point that was triggered i was in survival mode i'm great at it i took under control everything that i could have so nutrition i studied nutrition like a phd degree i studied neuroscience because i was depressed and suicidal and i i just didn't understand how my mind can betray me that much so i studied why and how i studied you know spirituality west approach eastern approaches meditation breathing techniques uh, you name it i've experimented with it all just to understand how in a situation like this i can regain control or what i thought was control because the physical recovery, as difficult as it was, was relatively easy compared to the mental toll that this accident took on me and who I was and who I thought I was, because here it is, you know, the big commando guy that can do whatever, the machine, you know, I'm now broken and I I couldn't father my kids. I couldn't be there for my wife. I couldn't uh, be there for my business. I felt a complete failure, right? Right. That's where the depression hit me because i was in such a dark place i couldn't find a way out of it uh, you know i thought like this is the end for me right how how would i ever come back to anything and these, these are these are such uh powerful
2: observations that you were making about your experience and i, and I want to draw from that to, to maybe uh give some some insights to to our listeners about what they can bring into their lives I feel that my own experience and a lot of listeners probably who are in business uh, and have suffered setbacks, there's this experience of wondering how much more abuse or pain you can take. Uh, failure is uh, relentless. Uh, oftentimes, when one thing goes wrong, uh, several things go wrong right behind that. And, uh, and, and it often feels overwhelming, um, uh, deeply, personally embarrassing. Um, you oftentimes are someone that has experienced a lot of success and you've not really dealt with the challenges of perseverance and overcoming. What would you say are one or two really, really critical first steps that you've got to take if you're at that place where you're looking around you and it's just dark?
1: Yeah, that's a... It's a brilliant uh, question for for everyone to ask. Whether you're successful or, or not, being able to reach the success levels that you believe you you deserve or or you're after, and I think here comes a question of a belief system. Uh, I find that there are two paths in life, and nothing to do with religion or anything like that. But there is one path that says, you know, if I put it on a a little bit of a lighter kind of approach to it is, is life happening to me or for me, right? Am I the victim of circumstances or is this, there is something there that is here to allow me to grow and evolve and and do something better with my life? And I think that junction is where everything begins. That, That decision of how you're going to approach this struggle and challenge, be that in business, in health, in your relationships, whatever it is you are confronted with. If you choose the path of victimhood, why this has happened to me? What did I do to deserve this? You know, this is not fair. Blah blah blah. They are at fault. All of those things. You've chosen a path. You've chosen the path of you know life is just against me, right? And I can say that this is a very very difficult, challenging path. I personally, with my limited experience and the people that I work with and and, and the knowledge I've uh, accumulated over the years. I haven't seen success stories when you approach life this way. Um, it end up ends up usually very, very badly. And the other side of it is this belief system of what I today call curiosity. Like this has happened, wow. It's not like why this has happened, oh my God, you're involved in the details and the causes and all of that. It's like, what's in this that I can actually learn and grow and transform with. And this is really the mechanism I think that I've developed over the years. And I really use as the engine of the coaching system that I have today is to enable that shift of perspective and be so curious about where you are, what has happened, what are the circumstances, and what is this golden nugget that it's almost impossible to see on your own. That's something I have to, you know, thank my mentors and my coaches because they were the only ones who were able to show me. You know, it's like the little kid that uh, digs the, like you know, digs in a pile of uh, horseshit and, and nobody knows why they're digging in there. And there's a, a little present in, in the bottom. That's kind of how we are. But that coach or mentor or someone from the outside can really enable us to do this. So I find that that's the entry point.
2: I feel obliged to ask our guests and our listeners not to uh, go pick in a pile of shit. Uh, But that is an interesting metaphor. I appreciate that. Yeah,
1: (laughs) yeah. yeah. Sometimes it takes, you know, a bit of an effort to understand that you're digging in the wrong pile, but uh, (laughs) it's part of the journey.
2: It is.
1: (laughs) Right? Love a good analogy.
0: Um, So I'm assuming, well, what what I believe that you're talking about is some of the pillars of your victory path system.
1: Yeah, actually, you know, these are the pillars that I developed for myself initially, because th- these are the ways that... Here's, here is one thing, maybe your listeners would uh, resonate with this. When we are in a place of lack, place of questioning our- ourselves, we are hard on ourselves, we're not good enough, we're shaming ourselves. You know, we're in this relationship with a very dark side in our in our life. Um, it is almost impossible for us to get out of it um, just by learning more, you know, take another course, read another book, listen to another podcast, uh, I don't know, do another workshop. These are external ways that, to be honest, I have found they have their benefits in terms of knowledge, but to take that knowledge and move it into an experience and something that can be utilized, it's that, that that's where the gold is. And I I did the process for myself. I used to think other people have the answers. I used to think, you know, someone else knows exactly what to do. And if only I would be close enough to them and they would give me their secrets, my life will unfold in miraculous ways. And I found that it's all bullshit because nobody really knows anything about that. This is an entirely personal process. It's a calling for you to learn who you are, how you're wired, question, you know, the assumptions and the narratives and the stories you've created in your life that sometimes they are your worst prison. And you're fighting, fighting so hard to stay in that prison that it is sometimes I'm in awe of how much effort and energy some people will put into it to keep themselves in that little place because it's comfortable.
2: Yeah, you know it's what's amazing about your story, and I think that uh this is one of the reasons I wanted you as one of the first guests we were recording with is that it would have been one thing, you know, uh, if you had just overcome that terrible accident, I mean, that would have been an incredible accomplishment in and of itself. Right. But that wasn't it behind that. You made a, I'm sure gut wrenching decision to, um, take an action that I I can't imagine a lot of people would be, uh, able to, to make without the deepest of soul searching, which is an elective amputation of, of your right leg below the knee. So tell me how I mean you're you're I, I in I, I don't know the, the 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 precise timing, so share that with the audience. But here you are, you're you're in recovery, uh the body's mending, you're working on uh on mending your spirit, and then you're facing what feels like another insurmountable obstacle. How do you psych yourself up to stand up yet again and face yet another absolutely gut wrenching obstacle?
1: Yeah, this was, this was a tough one because, you know, at, at the end of the day, the life-threatening injuries were behind me. I mean, thank God, you know, I'm a relatively, you know, large guy. My body has sustained so much when I was younger that the impact of the injuries didn't create a fully disabled life, right? But I was disabled. After all the life-threatening injuries have um, healed, a, a slight injury, I crushed my ankle and it was supposed to be, okay, we'll just put a few screws in it and you know maybe you'll have a limp, but it will be okay. That was my nemesis, my Achilles heel injury, right? Completely disabled me. I was in excruciating pain 24 seven for three months. I didn't sleep, right? Mm-hmm. I couldn't walk. I was on crutches in a wheelchair. I couldn't be present. The pain occupied 100% of my psyche. I couldn't work. I couldn't be there for my kids. I was a mess of a man, right? That's the place where it was so dark. And that's where, you know, suicide was kind of not to execute on, but it was like, why, why do I need to suffer so much? Right. And going through this process, I thought that, you know, okay, I, I have to do something because my doctors always said, oh, you're healing so well and just be grateful for, you know, having the health that you have right now, whatever. I said, no, you don't understand. This is the most debilitating situation I've I've faced. The broken bones, you know, the, the, the inner organs that exploded and got together, that's the body did its work, right? This is something that I can't live with. I am disabled. I'm in pain. And for, I would say, three months, I did my research. This is how I approach everything. I'm a great proponent of research, information, and self-education and become an advocate of your health. You don't just do what one doctor says. I found that most doctors don't really know what they're saying. So you need four or five of them to understand the bigger picture. And all the solutions that were offered to me were so mediocre, so experimental, so not life giving but life taking that i started to entertain what seemed to be at the time a very extreme approach what if i amputate my leg it's an option maybe not a, any surgeon will say hey go amputate your leg cuz you know you still have a leg it's not that it was life threatening and they had to chop it off and to be honest i did my work i interviewed amputees i spent time with amputees to see what their life looks like What are the consequences? What can happen? You know, the ups and downs. I talked with prosthesis, the people that build prosthetics, and really got ingrained in the um, world of what could it be. By doing that, uh, I was actually empowered to decide to go with an elective amputation, to give an opportunity, a 50-50 chance of having my life back. And that decision was very, very, very difficult uh, on multiple uh, fronts. but. Again, if we bring this into the context of you know uh, business, for example, sometimes the most difficult decisions are to kind of amputate a part that doesn't work anymore, although you feel it's a part of you, and enabling and trusting that the next phase of it would be better. You don't really know. You're stepping into the unknown. When I was on the... Uh, Uh, in the theater uh, operating room, and I was just was about to put to um, sleep. That feeling and and, and surrender of whatever outcome will come out of this, I will have to live with. That was part of, I think, again, a mindset that was built over time to own the consequences. Because after the amputation, I could have been in worse situation than I was prior. So to take ownership of that and to be ready for whatever circumstance I think was a very powerful place to uh, operate from.
0: It's amazing. It almost, it kind of reminds me of what you were saying earlier about the military breaking you down to build yourself up. You were at a middling level with your, with your Achilles that doesn't sound like it was going to get better. And so you chose to kind of get uh, what some would say, you know, physically in a worse spot in order to improve your life. That's, that's really inspiring.
1: Actually, yeah, very brave. And it wasn't like, uh, you know, a great experience to begin with. I had complications. I had terrible issues. There's something called phantom limb pain that is caused after an amputation, which is completely devastating. It's the worst pain anybody can feel. It attacks you without warning. It's almost impossible to have a normal life with it but I went through a process there as well. And I've learned again with the best teachers uh, out there, how to rewire the brain. Uh, There is a a specific approach called mirror therapy where you rewire. What happens when you amputate the neurons in your brain keep firing signals to the area of the limb that is missing. And there's, it's an open loop. So it comes back as horrible, horrible pain in in, in a variety of ways. Um, So to cope with this, Regular Western medicine just gives you medication to numb the nerves, which is horrible. I had terrible side effects from that, and it didn't work. And the other approach was to actually, okay, uh, how do we approach this from a different place? And that's where I learned about mirror therapy, uh, dedicated a good portion of my life to understand the brain and meditation and what does it mean before I got into it. And then did the process and eliminated the phantom limb pain 100%. That was actually the first point of proof that you can actually rewire your brain. As much as, you know, people talk about it so much scientifically, right? But when you experience it on a physical level, that's it. You know that it, it is true. It's not science fiction. So, Aries, you're
2: sitting here uh, with us today and, and you've overcome uh, the, I'm sure, absolutely horrifying, a very scary experience of not knowing whether you'll overcome your this phantom pain. Talk to me about second guessing yourself, right? So while you're in it, you're in it, it's not over yet. You're not on the other side. It's very common to second guess your decisions. It's almost impossible in the fog of war, uh, whether it's actual war or business or in your personal life to know for sure that a decision you've made is the right decision. A lot of times there are reasons to believe that you made the wrong decision, and there is an impulse to try to correct before you even let the dust settle. How do you how do you handle uncertainty, and how do you overcome the tendency to overcorrect or overact as opposed to just letting things play out?
1: Yeah, that's a tough one, man. That's uh, to be honest, I don't know if I have an answer. You know, like this is how it's answer? done. What did you do for you? What did you do for you? For me, it comes down to understand that whatever it is I choose to do, it is my responsibility and choice of what the circumstance may be. So to be open-minded to the ups and downs of what the decision can transpire to be, that's kind of a base of where you're at and self-ownership of the outcome. If I was okay to say to myself, if I amputate my leg, it's going to be worse than before, or I'm okay if it will be better, that's it. The self-doubt is always there. Questioning is always there. The fear, the distrust, The am I doing the right thing? I mean, man, this is a conversation I, I have to this day multiple times a day, right? It doesn't even matter. Even if I open the fridge. Oh, should I eat? You know the uh, leftovers of this beautiful birthday cake, or should I? You know, eat. I don't know a salad, right? It's 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 always there; It never I, goes away. I
0: can help you out with that. I just I just say yes. <laughs> <To whatever. laughs> there you
1: go. Easy,
0: right? <laughs> and actually, that kind of oh, leads yeah. to. I, I'm sure that leads to uh, this. I'm, I'm sorry. Finish your finish your thought on on Tal's excellent question.
1: Yes. So just to answer. Uh, not to answer the question but to um, um, reiterate the process that there is no one way to deal with it it's always going to be there it's that i i today it's my best ally that dark voice to be honest if there's one thing that i've learned to be really good at is to partner with that dark side that dark voice in my head that always you know shame us and blame us and you're not good enough and question yourself and all those things that we all confront and especially high achievers oh my god entrepreneurs leaders this is like uh, you know you might as well take a knife and stab you all over the body right we do it all the time but when you develop a relationship with that side of you and you understand that it is there for a reason it is there to take you to the next step then man wow that's a whole different journey
0: that's amazing that's so so
2: you've you're out of uh Uh, Out of one second challenge. And then you suffer a heart attack that almost killed you. Yeah. Um, Talk about getting up a third time. I mean, this is literally the man who refuses to die, PJ. This man just won't die.
0: (laughs) Well, maybe because he doesn't say yes, like I do um, so much at the fridge. But yes, I'm very (laughs) interested to hear. I'm very interested to hear this.
1: Yeah. Yeah. This is... Again, you think life is better, right? Because I moved from real estate, which was a very intense um, environment of work and all of that, and I started to coach, you know, started with the amputee community, then moved more into health and mindset and kind of mental coaching, just because it was a realm I was so connected to and, and was able to help other people kind of bring it into their own lives. So I've started that coaching, but there was a piece in between, Tal, that when I recovered from the amputation and I overcome the phantom limb pain, again, I put the armor on and I said, here it is. I'm invincible. I'm going to go for it. I decided at the time, and this is from my military service, to train for the longest, toughest off-road race in the world called the Dakar Rally. And I'm going to do it on a motorcycle. Never been done before, Right. And I was exposed to off road on multiple levels through military service and after. And I decided to try and ride a motorcycle after my amputation. Knew I had to do some adjustments for the bike, but it worked. I went back and, for a year and a half, like a machine, I trained for the Dakar rally. It was an insane journey, insane journey, but ended up with another terrible accident in one of my pre qualifying races. And that was the shift where I said, enough is enough. I'm not looking for an outside goal. It was all a macho 100% process to prove myself that I'm still the man, I'm still the commando guy. I probably needed it at the time, but when I was in midair before I crashed during that race, I knew, dude, enough. Like, this is stupid. I have a great family, beautiful life. What am I doing? Enough is enough. Crashed, broke my ribs, shoulder, a mess of myself. Went back home, decided I'm done with the bullshit of the outside. (laughs) Turned into coaching, did an amazing processes and, 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 and work with clients and teams and all of that. Thought I was in a brilliant place. No more pursuing crazy exterior goals, not being aggressive with my body, not being aggressive with my mind. Kind of a beautiful middle path. And then, man, a heart attack, right? No warning signs. There was nothing in my health. With all these injuries, that doctors kind of tested every orifice in my body, came up and said, "Oh, be careful! There might be a heart attack looming." Wasn't any of that, and and I have to tell you, the heart attack from everything I went through in my entire life, from you know military service, immigration, divorce, bankruptcy, almost amputations—all the, the heart attack was the most difficult one to cope with across the board. Why is that? Why? It is an invinci- it, 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 You know what it is? It's like a an enemy from within, right? It's not a truck. It's not an accident. Oh, I lost control. Something happened, whatever. Because it's something inside of you that attacked you, right? And it breaks you to a billion pieces from the inside and you don't see it because I recovered. Luckily, I was close enough to a hospital, so they saved my life. I have a stent now in one of my arteries. If I was in my home where I'm now, I probably wouldn't be here alive because there was a window of 90 minutes to actually make this happen. But the effect of this heart attack was absolutely devastating. I wasn't prepared for any of it. It was easier for me to deal with physical injuries, with amputations, with the external part of the resilience journey. But when it comes to the inside, man, that's a whole different ballgame.
2: Wow. And yet you overcame. And yet you overcame. And so, you know, and the essence of of this podcast uh, and, and the stories that I want to tell on this podcast to listeners are about seemingly impossible regenerations, moments where people rise from the ashes like the Phoenix. And I think you've done that over and over and over again in your life. And you're doing it with a smile on your face and an attitude that I think represents the best of us. What would be, you know, if if, if there was one North star or one critical life lesson or value, that you'd urge our listeners to walk away from this podcast with what
1: would it be no we've been given a gift and and you only have one chance as far as i'm concerned to experience that gift in this lifetime and it doesn't matter what happens to you your background your Uh, ethnic background your geographical background your business background family it doesn't matter none of it has any consequences on executing on this gift i believe wholeheartedly that every person has a very unique genius that is called upon to do something with this lifetime it doesn't have to be life-changing it doesn't have to impact billions of people or you know advance humanity on multiple levels. Sometimes we think that this is like, oh, if I'm not doing this, I'm not doing anything. It could be just for crying out loud, be a good parent, right? Mm -hmm. Be a good spouse, be a good neighbor, like be a human for crying out loud, right? If you just do that, that's an expression of that gift. So I feel that as terrible as these lessons have been for me on the exterior side of them, They have proven again and again and again that if you have a bigger cause, a bigger calling to stay alive despite the circumstances you're under, because there is something there that you are about to learn, and then your job is to pay it forward. This is what I do today. My job is to pay forward the lessons I have learned. I have not discovered anything unique. I have not invented anything unique. There is nothing new under the sun anyways, when you really look at it. But what I was called to do was to distill these lessons and package them in a way that people that can relate to this journey can actually assimilate, bring into their lives, and then take what they have learned and pass it on. So it's just this continuous pay it forward cycle That when you subscribe to this club, you'll overcome everything in your life because it's not just about you. And if you live in a world that it's about you only, that's a problem. That's where all tactics about resiliency and, you know, grit and willpower and all of that, that's never going to work. It's just not good enough.
0: Wow. That's awesome. (laughs) In a nutshell. That really is. A few takeaways from this. A never going to complain about hangnail ever again. Um, B, the the fact that, uh, I think you, you said it very eloquently. I, I always thought that the biggest challenge for a person, whether it's an entrepreneur, a business person, um, someone, you know, a, a spouse, a brother, uh, a son, whatever, the biggest challenge is to figure out how can you make, how can you leave a mark on the world without leaving a bruise, right? And I think that with your, your clear sightedness and this intentionality that you have in regards to paying it forward in regards to living in the moment and being aware of not only the external customers, but also your own internal customer is, uh, I I think it's very inspiring and I, I just loved it. Loved it.
2: Yeah. Thank you. That's uh... Avramov, I, I, I tell you, as I, as I think about the, 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 the most inspiring stories I've heard in my life, I, it, they almost always revolve around uh, recognizing that at the core of it all is choosing to be your best self, which is we often fight and fight and scratch and claw. And then at the end, when it's all said and done, we realize, you know what the best path is to being successful? being the best version of ourselves. And we know, we know what that best version of ourselves looks like. It's our least selfish, most integrated, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. most conscientious, most balanced version of ourselves. And in moments of crisis, that version of ourselves is not always accessible. (laughs) We usually turn to some learned behaviors that are um, second nature, but not necessarily representative of who we are at our best conscientiously choosing to be our best at moments like that sounds like the thesis that um, you'd recommend our listeners take away
1: completely and i always say you always have a choice the choice is always in your hands i don't care the circumstances you do have a choice even if you don't see it at the moment there is a choice there and i do agree with you tal it's a lot easier to numb ourselves you know, uh, do some, let's call them uh, addictive, not supportive type of uh, mm-hmm. actions, you know, be that you numb yourself through alcohol or drugs or TV or porn or workaholism. There are so many paths, overexercising. There are so many paths that we can choose to numb the pain and try and not confront it that at the end, you just make it worse. So if I was to share with someone how to shortcut the period of, you know, for me, it was a decade of near-death experiences and going through all this craziness. And if I would say, you know, you don't need to go through all of this, right? That There is a different way to approach this. It is to really turn the lens on life through a curiosity mindset and just ask the questions that for so many of us because we don't have the answers we don't even want to ask them or we don't know what to ask right and by just creating that environment in your life you open a channel that can invite something unbelievable into your life and and that's the gift today that i am so privileged to enable other people to open that portal for them and they do the work right it's not that i do anything like oh my god it's really just enabling them to be in a container of seeing who they are and standing up for who they are and acting from there. And just like you said, Tal, it's really to be the best version of ourselves. And it's what that version is for us. It doesn't mean that there is a version that everybody has to aspire to. Not at all. Very personal.
0: That's awesome. But For our listeners, what is coming up next for you? Do you have anything that you wanted to to share in regards to you know, how they get in touch with you how do they connect with you get about of your program please share that
1: yeah thank you for that uh so for me I don't I don't advertise uh, really my my um, coaching is a very very high-end bespoke level customized uh, program uh it's only been referral based uh my entire career in this industry now uh I am very very particular in choosing clients these days i have made some mistakes in the past where i said yes to people that were not ready not that they didn't have the potential to transform but they were not ready there was more work for them to do on their own so there's a very elaborate um, selection process it's almost like the way i was selected to be a commando um, soldier I, i do employ a lot of that these days because Here is what I do, why I do what I do. My job, my sole job here is to enable great people that are in a leadership position and have already been chosen or chose to be at the precipice of creating impact for hundreds, thousands, millions of people because of the work that they do. But they are the bottleneck. That leader is always the bottleneck. So, my job is to come in and enable them to become that unbelievable version of themselves that can actually ele- enable other people to uh, follow them and get to the uh, targets that they're after.
2: Aaron Avramov, a business strategist, a keynote speaker, leadership coach, resiliency expert, a man who refused to die, and uh, just a fascinating human being. It's been an utter pleasure. I'm so grateful that you took the time and I'm sure our listeners appreciate it and learn a lot from it.
1: Thank you you so much. PJ, it was a great conversation. I love the interaction and just love what you guys are doing. I think this is so important to take the conversation sometimes outside the realm of, you know, strategies and tactics and how to's and things like that. And just understand man, we're humans. We're just on a path trying to do the best we can. And sometimes we get lost, but there's always a way out.
0: Uh, It's been an honor. Thank you for letting me be a little fly on the wall or a large fly on the wall. (laughs) Thank you, guys. PJ,
2: PJ, PJ. Thank you so much, Eric. Have a wonderful day.
0: And that's a wrap, folks. Thank you for being a part of the Braving Business Podcast listening audience. Be on the lookout for our weekly interviews with fascinating leaders in business and gain insight into their mindset of how they took to braving business in their own lives and careers. Check us out on YouTube, LinkedIn, and all of your favorite streaming services. Thank you again, and we'll see you next time on the Braving Business Podcast.